Welcome to Fearless in Devotion, a light-hearted look at all things Wrexham AFC. Today, an exclusive interview. To score the goal that I did and then to win the first game as well, to come back was was brilliant. And then to be in the dressing room and and come home after to score a goal like that and to get me my first um, win was was unbelievable and it was a, a great feeling and I'll I'll never forget that. The mighty army Rexham is the name. Christ and all, welcome back to Fearless in Devotion with me, Rhys Williams, Tim Edwards, Andy Gilpin and Liam Randall. Well, I don't know uh, about you gents, I'm feeling a bit giddy. Three goals, another clean sheet, what do you make of that? Three goals, five beers, yeah, I'm feeling a bit giddy to be honest. <laughs> um, I think it was a, I'd say it was a perfect Keats performance. I think we tend to play possum for the first 20 minutes, let them come on to us and tie themselves out like the rope of dope and then we just get on to them. And, you know, two two sites at goal in, in the first half, we put them both away. Two, you know, especially the Angus goal was absolutely brilliant. Second half, I think we were comfortable. We let them come on to us when we needed to. There was more space up front. Angus scored a very good second, uh, sorry, second goal for him, but third goal overall. Um, I'd have liked to have seen Jarvis come on just because I think he can run with the ball a bit more, but I cannot complain other than that. I think that I think it was a very good professional clinical performance. Yeah, can't really add much more to that, to be honest. Delighted for Jordan Davis to get his first uh, goal for his hometown club. Um, it's kind of like the, the monkey off the back, really, for him. He was delighted in the post-match interview, so well done to you, Jordan. As for Dior, oh, I just... His his patience is, is reaping rewards. You know, there's been times where he's cut a bit of a lonely figure up front, but him and Thomas working so well together now in tandem, they complement each other really well. And like Andy said, that both goals were just absolutely exquisite, and it, you just you can you can see him now clicking into gear, and you can see why he was the perfect partner for for Quigley at Barrow, and we're starting to see the best of him now. Yeah, I think when we uh, first started doing this podcast uh, straight after games, I thought it was just going to be four angry men uh, shouting, into, <laughs> shouting into microphones, to be honest. But I'm surprisingly enjoying my Saturdays um, at the minute. Again, we today we rode our luck on occasions. Today, they, they missed a couple of um, sitters. But overall, it was really, really positive performance. We took our chances when they came. Like Tim said, I really liked the way that um, Dior Angus and Kwame Thomas are linking up um, and things just yeah things just seem to be going well um, I'm not feeling miserable on a Saturday hmm. why don't you marry Dean Keats then <laughs> what? But can we talk about that stamp on uh, Angus's head though the stamp yeah the, the, the suggestion from some of the uh, I was listening to some of the um, BBC commentary and uh, Barry Horn was suggesting it was a really stupid yellow card on on it on his part but I think if someone <laughs> I think if someone nearly takes your head off, you're probably a bit justified to give them a shove back. That's enough about that. Another good win. Uh, onwards onwards, and upwards. Um, uh, thank you, everyone, for your feedback for last week's podcast with Mickey Thomas. We'd encourage you to go and listen back if you haven't yet because he was on top form. Lots of people getting in touch to say uh, how great it was to hear Mickey's passion sort of shining through after um, a tough year for him. We're very grateful for all your feedback. We've had a, a great email in, actually, from Terry Stott, who says uh, he's enjoyed listening to our Fearless in Devotion moments in particular and uh, the away day stories. 
And it made him think of his own particular memorable journey away to Brighton in the FA Cup uh, in 2012. A one-all draw, of course, uh, courtesy of Cheesy. Um, I'll just read a bit from his email here. So he says, I flew down from Manchester to Gatwick uh, that morning and then a train from Gatwick to Brighton and straight into the nearest pub at about 10am wearing my Wrexham shirt and scarf. I remember the journey by train from Brighton to the uh, Amex or Amex Stadium, the uh, only way you're allowed to arrive, I believe, and they were singing in the concourse before kickoff um, and the match where the Wrexham fans were fantastic. The Brighton fans forum after the match voted us as having the best away support they'd seen and heard. And of course, by the end of the match, I was already a tad worse for wear. And to make matters worse, my flight home wasn't until 7.30am <laughs> the next morning. Straight after the well, match. Well, a.m.? Uh, a.m. I know. He's a terrible uh, journey yeah, right. planner, Terry, okay. at the moment. Uh, straight after the match, they opened up the train. whole concourse and we were allowed to wander around the bars and food kiosks mixing with the home fans. We found a bar in the ground with live music and we really enjoyed the crack with the locals. Eventually, I took the train back to Brighton, stopped off in the local pub, uh, ended up in Brighton again. Finally found the strength to stay awake and uh, got off at Gatwick, only to find everything had closed. I managed to get in the concourse area and found a double seat near the food kiosk to settle down. At 6.30, now Terry here, you say, I was aroused by a cleaner. I think you mean you were aroused by a cleaner. At least, <laughs> at least, I, at least I hope you do. What a, what a day. <laughs> Otherwise, this story is taking a turn down a direction I'm not sure we can follow. Um, anyway, I, I saw that everywhere... <laughs> I saw that everywhere was open. However, people were strangely giving me a wide berth. Um, a quick oh, trip no, to the no wonder, mate, you've got a blob on. Followed by a full English with numerous pots of tea, saw me fit enough to pass muster at the check check in desk. I wasn't the stewardess's favourite passenger on the flight home, but I was well behaved throughout as I just had the best away trip ever. Thank you very oh, much for that story. It's really <laughs> I enjoyed oh, that. Well, not as much as Terry by the by the sounds of it. <laughs> Look, I think I know, I know what Terry means that he had one of the best away trips ever because I think that it was it was the same for me down at Brighton. I, I, again, I took I took a few of my pals. Scottish Pete was there. Just in case anyone really wanted to know, was he? yeah, he was there. I said he only went to two games. From Bristol, he went to three games. I was going to say last week you said he's only been to two. <laughs> no, I think I think this was one of them. But he also reminded me that he's been to Woking two, Wrexham nil. So he isn't the good luck charm you think he is. Um, oh, right. But it was great there. It was two thousand. It was a great atmosphere. We sang all the way through. Chislevitz scored a great goal. And then Brighton's just a, such a great place to turn out to after because there's so much going on. We had some good, you know, good beers. There was loads of us that stayed over. I can remember being in a curry house and it turned out the next four tables next to me were all Wrexham fans. Just like one of those weekends that you think, this is what it's all yeah. about. This is why I'm a football fan. This is why I'm a Wrexham fan. But yeah, it was a great day then. Thank you very much for that email, Terry. Uh, you can get in contact with us, um, fearlessindevotion at gmail.com. Anyway, time to move on now. We've got another great guest lined up for you, a mercurial talent who Wrexham hands will have very fond memories of. 
On last week's um, Fearless and Devotion, we had none other than Mickey Thomas, and we thought we set the bar quite high. However, we're no shrinking violets, so we thought we'd try and get some of equal standing in our eyes. So welcome to this week's guest, no other than Lee Trungle. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome Hi, to Lee. Thank it's, you. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, just before we've, we've come on air, you've just reliably informed us that this is the first podcast you've done from a Wrexham point of view. Is that the case? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, my first one, obviously a lot. You know, I think a lot of them I've done have been Swansea-based and stuff, but I've never done one with Wrexham, so I'm looking forward to it. It's overdue then, by the sounds of it. And um, so you, we're gonna, you're going to take us all on memory lane, I think, with this one. But I think it's 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 been a long time coming, and it's one we're all looking forward to. So take us way back, because I don't want to call you a journeyman at this point, because I think you're at, you're in your early twenties. Just take us, just give us a, an overview of that time. Was there was this, was the plan still to to pursue a professional career? Yeah, I think, you know, ever since I started off in um, non-league 17, 18, I think I always wanted to be a professional footballer, but me, me actions was was telling me the, the other. You know, I, I wasn't um, nowhere near professional enough. I never used to turn up for training. I'd rather go down to youth club and play five-a-side with my mates than go and train for Southport or Staley Bridge. Um, I loved football, but I just live, loved playing Without any, without any rules, really. You know, I love that street football. I love that type of game where you just went out and expressed yourself. And, you know, you go into training and it's, it's a lot of drills and a lot of stuff. And at a young age, it just, it was mind-numbing for me, you know, to just get the ball and pass it and move it. I wanted to get it and do whatever I wanted. And that's why I loved playing in the, in the youth club and in the streets. But I think from an early age... You know, my talent was always was always there, but it was just the way I, I applied myself. You know, I was out drinking too much. I'd even go out on a on a Friday night before games when I was in non-league. So, you know, probably not giving myself, well, definitely not giving myself the best chance, even though I'd go and still perform on a Saturday at that level and do well. So I don't think it was never a, a doubt about my ability. It was always about my application and, you know, how I was off the field. I think I'd played around the, the non-league system in England without really setting it alight, but showing people that I, I had something, you know, I'd, I had managers who'd been at professional clubs like uh, Mel Stale and Dimrid Verradi, who were at Staley Bridge Celtic, Mark Wright, who was at Liverpool in England, and then he, he was at Southport. And every, after like one or two sessions, they'd get me in the office and say, listen, what do you want to do? Do you want to become a professional footballer because you need to change your attitude? And if you do, you're going to make it. And I'd say all the right things when I was sitting in there with them. Yeah, yeah. Like, for instance, um, Mark Wright said I needed to lose weight. I got weighed and I was 14 stone at the time. He said, listen, you need to drop some weight. I said, OK. Um, I think it went. It was... Um, I'm laughing now, but, you know, as a, as a coach myself, I wouldn't be laughing if someone done this to me. Um, five weeks went past, six weeks back on the scales, let's see it again. And I'd I'd went up to 14-8. So it was just it was just stupid things like that where you know that side of thing and I, I, I didn't bother about it. And then my agent come I fell out with um, Mark Wright at um Southport and rightly so because obviously he's just come from a Liverpool setup in England setup and then you've got me acting like this. 
Um, so then my agent said, listen, um, real have come in. Do you, let, do you want to go and give that a go? And I said, well, I don't really want to go to the, the Welsh League because I thought if, I get a, if I've got a chance of being a professional footballer, if you're playing in the conference, obviously then, you know, you, you the next step is the Football League. Yeah. So um, he said, I think it's the right move for you. Give it a go. You know, they're on telly every week. You'll see your, the goals will be on. So, you know, it opens it up to another audience. So I said, oh, come on, let's let's go then. And I went there and probably knuckled down for the, the first time. When I, when I moved to Rill, um, my partner at the time just got pregnant with my, um, with my eldest daughter. So it was more about, I think it was, it made me grow up a little bit. And I sort of then thought, well, it's just not about me anymore. There's someone else that's got to depend on you. Because beforehand, my money, what I got from football was just for my weekend drinking. I lived at home with me mum and nan. They didn't make me pay any bills, didn't do any washing. It was them two looking after me. So whatever money I got was just for me to to go and spend. But, the, you know, it was going to change now. So I knuckled down, started training every daytime, going for runs, doing different things like that. And I remember Brian Flynn's dad was at a, at a game in Port Talbot when I played for real and I scored four that day. I had a really good game and he spoke to, to Brian. I didn't know this at the time. Spoke to Brian and said, listen, you've got to go and sign this kid. So then that's when the, the game come um, when we played Wrexham in a, in a friendly. And I didn't know the, the background to it, but um, Wrexham had been in touch with real and said, um, can we take Lee on trial for a week? And Real said, well, if you give us a game, like I think it was a Tuesday night, give us a game, they can make a bit of money on the gate. We'll have a match together and then you can take them after that. And then in that game, I, I, I scored a hat-trick and then that was it from then on. I went into Wrexham on the, the, the Thursday. And I think what helped me as well, because the, the, the lads at Wrexham had seen me play, I sort of went in not as a trialist, but someone who they had a little bit of respect for, because usually you're going on trial and you're just the one who's there and people don't really talk to you. But I think because they'd seen me play, there was sort of that little bit of respect and it helped me settle in with the boys as well. So I went and played for the reserves against Blackpool on the Monday, scored two, and then Wrexham signed me on the on the Wednesday then. And, you know, that's when the journey started properly for me. Yeah, I mean, I think you were 24. I think when, 24, when... yeah. When he signed you, clearly from what you said there, there was no, you had no hesitation. You never doubted your talent at that time. Like you said, that real was kind of like the bedding in settling period, if you like. That the yeah. bigger things at bay that you mentioned, your young family. Um, so going straight into that Wrexham squad, just take me through that. I mean, you, you said that the, the lads kind of said, you know, this this kid's got something about it. Did anybody specifically take you in, under your wing? But what was the first conversation you had with Pliny when you signed? Um, Flitty was always great with me, you know, he never put any stipulations on me, he never told me, listen, you mark him on a corner, you follow it, I'll sit round that midfielder. He just used to say to me, go and get the ball, and when you're in the, the, um, the half, you just go and express yourself. And I remember when my agent, obviously, speaking to him on the first week to say how I had done in training, and Flinny mentioned about the amount of shots that I was getting off each session, just in the little games, and and for me, all these little things getting fed back to me was just giving me that confidence. I think Darren Ferguson was a another one who, who um, without putting their arm around me and everything, because I was coming in at 24 and 
once I get into the dressing room, I'm a bit of a character where I like to have a laugh and a joke as well with the boys. So they sort of, they all sort of took me in and, and helped me really. But I'd say Fergie was was um, was big because he's someone who I looked up to. I'd seen him play at Manchester United. You watch the football as well. So going into a, a squad like that, even though I'd played against them and done well, I think each level that you move up, you'd always have a little bit of self-doubt to see, are you going to be able to to make it? Can you play at this level? I never, ever doubted my own ability. But I think when you're still going into something and it's a massive jump from the League of Wales to League One, you know, it was just brilliant for me that I started off so well. Yeah. And so I think, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. I think the Wrexham pays 60k to yeah. real today. I think it was 60 grand. Um, I think everybody will, will agree that that was money very well spent. Um, it's big it's money at the time as well, isn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. It's big money now for Wrexham. Well, especially for especially for someone who is unproven, really, you know, because mm. it's a big it's a big jump. So to to go into to someone to pay that for for me at the time was brilliant for me and still still give me confidence that they believed I could do it. And I think um, you know, with Flinny and Reevesy and seeing me, I just think I was a different type of player to what to what you were gonna get. Really, you know, the stuff that mm. I would do, you're probably not gonna see. Without, I don't want to sound as though I'm going over the top, but you wouldn't see people doing it a, a lot, you know what I mean? So I think they, they sort of seen that I had something. And if they could then coach me and give me their wisdom as well, they always believed that I was going to do well for them. Did you feel that extra pressure with that that transfer fee? Or did you just put it in the back of your mind? Yeah, no, I've never felt pressure on, on that. It was just about, it was more excitement because even, you know, I've waited all that time and you get to 24 and then you're, become a professional footballer and I remember my most exciting bit was going the ground and wanting to see what number I was and my name on the back of the shirt because back then in the league they never had that so it was it was that what, what I was looking forward to I'd always think about seeing me goals on TV with music played mm-hmm. behind it so all these little things in my head and like at the time I'm thinking I finally made it not yeah. thinking it's a stepping stone thinking I've I've made it playing for Wrexham in, in League One so mm-hmm. it was it was just, it was too much excitement rather to, to worry about it. As we've got you on, we thought we'd include you in our regular features, and they're all inspired by the greatest anthem of all time. Obviously, Wrexham is the name, which I'm sure uh, sort of you know sticks, off in by the, heart. sticks in the memory. You know <laughs> yeah. it all off by heart, obviously. And the first one is History Only Tells a Story, where each week one of us takes a look back through the archives for our favourite Wrexham-related moments. And uh, Tim's up this week, and he's presumably picked one that's Lee Trundle-related. Yeah, um it, once once we confirmed you as coming on, I thought I've got a pick. I mean, one of I mean, you can you can you can lose count of the amount of really good goals you scored. There's no doubt about that. The highlights real are ridiculous. But the first Wrexham goal, I, I didn't realise it was your first Wrexham goal until I looked back, and it was on on a Saturday in Walsall. We were two 0 down at half time, and we came back to win that game three two. Mister Trundle. Got one of the goals, got an assist, I think, for the winner, if, if memory yeah. serves me correct. But this is the is the slightly dumbed down commentary commentary of this goal. Um, I think they downplayed it, but 
I'll just play it now for, for the listeners and then we'll go through it. Straight after the break, but instead, with half an hour to go, Wrexham pulled one back to make it into a contest again. Lee Trundle by name, but not by nature. There you go, Lee Trundle by name, not by nature. So, yeah, for, for, for those who may not have been there... Um, I was there. Because we, we, <laughs> yeah, I was there, Andy was there. It was... I mean, we were shocking first half, and I'd love to know first and foremost what Fellini said at halftime in the dressing room, Lee, and then take us through that ridiculous overhead goal. Yeah, well, I'd, um, I'd been I'd been subbed twice and come on. I think my first one at the race course, I come on for like the last ten minutes. Then the game after, I come on at Rotherham, I think for around fifteen minutes. So I remember being out on the pitch at the start of the game. Um, I, sorry, when we just got there for the warm-up and Flynn, he come up to me and said, you're playing today. And I didn't know if he was messing or not. So I'm thinking, am I, play- am I or not? Because he, he, the way he was always messing around and joking, he said it. So then I'm sitting in the dressing room waiting till he started talking about the team. And then it was, he put me up that I was in. So first half, he was, um, we was poor. I think one of their goals was really good. I think Bennett struck it from, yeah. from far out. Um, I think he scored two actually for them. I can't, I can't remember what was said at halftime, if I'm honest, but then obviously I remember what went on after it and um, Fergie's free kick into the box and Big Bry won the header and then it's just come to me and it, when I'm uh, around the box, I just think, you know, how can I get my shot off and how fast can I get it off? So it's come into my chest and I've just thought that the easiest thing to do is chest and then overhead kick it because if I try and get it down, there's so many bodies there. So I've chested it, overhead kicked it and seen it go in and you know, for me, it was it was brilliant to see it go in, and then what a what a first goal to start off your your professional scoring record. Yeah, I mean that was that was as audacious as it gets, isn't it? From I mean, from from your point of view, that all the skills that you learned from street football has been now transferred into league football. So, what was your initial thoughts and feelings? Did you as soon as you hit it, do you know it's in? Um, not really, no, because I'm behind that. So I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the first noise. The first time I knew it went in is when I heard the noise from you said behind the goal. And then obviously I've got up, ran over to you, pointed to the name on the back just so you knew who it was. Um, and then ran off. But we were getting beat 2-1. So it's time, get the ball, let's try and get back into the into the game. And then um, Kevin Russell scored a, a great goal from far out in off the, the crossbar. And then I remember... The but we they had a corner, I think, and the ball's broke. The lad tried to tackle me on the halfway line, but he's missed me and the ball, and then I've went through, went onto my right foot, which is prob- which is not my strongest, and I've hit the shot, and then the lads blocked it on the line, but it's come back to me, and then luckily enough, um, Fulton Bridge has been in the middle, and I've crossed it into him, and he's knocked it in for the winner. So, I think to score the goal that I did, and then to win the first game as well, to come back was was brilliant, and then to be in the dressing room. And, and come home after to score a goal like that and to get me my first um, win was was unbelievable and it was a, a great feeling and I'll, I'll never forget that. That is a that's a match that lives in, in my memory for, for, for two reasons actually. One that goal and I thought we've got a player here that was backed up um, I think on the Tuesday night against Oxford. I don't know if you remember that game. I was looking I remember at it a little bit. Uh, I was looking at those goals <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Fantastic. You know I, I was dancing up and down the, the well, the press box at the time, just because 
this is why we become a Wrexham fan, to have a player that really excites you, that puts you on the edge of the, sh- of the seats. And we haven't had one for quite a while. But the other thing that I remind about the Walsall game is I got back home within the hour and it's a, the best run I've ever had down those roundabouts <laughs> by, by Shrewsbury. <laughs> Two things have absolutely stood out from that game. I've got a horrific memory of that game because I was, I was buzzing after that match because I thought there's no way we were going to win it. And then obviously that half was incredible. And I've driven down to Warsaw in my sort of shitty old Rover Metro, white Rover Metro. <laughs> and I've gone back to the car park, waving a big Welsh flag through some very irate Walsall fans. I get to my car, car doesn't start. <laughs> well, the opposite journey to me then. They're surrounded I was at home by, at this point. Surrounded by angry Walsall fans. And um, luckily some, uh, some like-minded Wrexham fans came over and gave me a jump start. And I was just like... I think I was probably singing your name and just doing stupid faces <laughs> back to Manchester. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously that game, um, obviously correct me if I'm wrong, I think it started a seven-goal scoring run in five games, including the aforementioned hat-trick in the 5-3 win Tuesday night against Oxford. Again, it would be rude to not sort of mention that. I mean, take us through that. We, we, we've seen the clips. that There is a, a clip going around on, on Twitter of of Sky's highlights of that night. Absolutely bonkers game. One of your, one of your shots was was standard, scrappy on a, on a rubbish pitch. I think, I think it was pretty muddy, muddy. Oh, it was a terrible Yeah, it was very muddy, yeah. yeah. But, but, but the other two, I mean, I, I mean, as much as it's, it's great technique by you to sort of lob the keeper from whatever, 20, 25 yards, did you, did you do research on this, on this keeper? Was he always off his line? How did all that pan out? No, but it's, that's the first thing, I'd, even if I'll play now or when I've played all my career, that's the first thing I'll always look for to see where he stands. Because you'll get some keepers that want to stand a bit far out because they want to try and be a little bit of a sweeper and, and help the defence if it comes over the top. So I would always look where they, where they stand. So the, the first one, obviously, when I've went through and I've sort of outside of my foot, sort of an outside of the foot chip, um, the, the second one, was Carlos has had a shot and it's flashed across the box and I've had to chest it and then put it in in the six in the six yard box and then the third one obviously where I've been far out and if I'm honest on that one as well even though he was on his line the pitch off his line sorry the pitch was that wet that if you would have tried to dribble with it I probably would have got tackled there because I was still far out it was really wet at that point because the rain was just coming down all the time so for me the easiest thing was to try and hit it. Early and that's what happened. But a, a funny story before that, um, before the game, you know, you had to wear suits then. So I'd only had like, I don't even think I had a, owned a suit. So I went to me, my cousin, and um, me, my cousin, I think about a year before had won the lottery, won one point two million on the lottery. Oh wow! So I've, uh, I went to his and I said, "Oh, Frank, can you lend us a, a suit?" So he had this lovely grey Versace suit. So he said, yeah, you can learn that. He said, if you score an attic tonight, you can have that. I said, okay. So then he was in the, he was in the crowd with all my mates. And I think there was about 10 of them that went the game. So when I've chipped the, the last one and I've seen it go in, I've ran straight over to the dugout where they'd sit behind and I've went like that with my shirt. And my so not only did I get my first attic, but I got myself an 800 pound for that t-shirt as well. Oh. Well done, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think after that, I mean, 
I might be wrong. I think you scored another two goals. So I think it's eight goals in 14 appearances um, at the end of that, because obviously he came into that first season late. Take us into to 2001-2002. Um, I think you got a couple of goals in the first two games. And then I think it might have been eight after that. So I think it was 10 in 38 appearances. Was, was there any injury things then? I can't quite recall off the top of my head. Um, do you know what? I can't I can't think because I was never out. I was never out really with yeah. injuries. Um, you know, I never was. It probably only would have been the one or two games. I never had nothing serious at, the, at that point. Um, whether we... Was that... The second season was when we got relegated, wasn't it? Yeah. It, to be honest, yeah. the whole the side as a whole was, was struggling, I think. And I think it was yeah, Brian, Brian's last season, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And like, like after the, I think going into that new season and then when you're struggling as a team as well, it's, you know, it's tough to to get going and probably, you know, I probably wasn't getting as many chances as what I was before. But then when you don't get that many chances or when pressure's on, I was probably missing somewhere I would have scored them the season before. So I think it was a, it was a tough learning curve for me because you go from a high, then you come the next season where you, you're fighting relegation. So it was a, I think it was tough on on all of us as a as a squad, and you know from what happened at the end of the season, you're seeing that we just never really got going. So yeah, going into your third season, your second full season with us, then 2002 2003, which ultimately ended in promotion, which happens to be the last time we tasted promotion. Come to think of it, unfortunately, um, you turned more from scorer to provider. If memory serves me correct, because I think Andy Morrell got a lot of the goal scoring exploits that season and you set up quite a lot and just to quote Andy this is what he said um some of the things he could do with the ball he was almost telepathic that season I'd make a run and he'd find me with a precision pass is that a fair assumption no nice words from him but you know (laughs) Andy as a goal scorer you know if you and sometimes you know I know he's saying precision pass and some might have been good passes but for me it's I just felt I had to put it in a, an area and I knew that he'd get there. So even some balls that might not have been the best of ball, the way he was, the way he worked, how hard he worked, how hard he run, he chased after the lost balls, he'd make some bad balls look a good ball. And, you know, I do agree that season we worked really well together. And sometimes you've got to, you know, if you're doing something for the team, if something's working, you've got to keep going with that. And it, it worked for us at the end of the season because we, we got promoted, but for him that year, he was on fire. Everything he was hitting, you know, was going in. He says, you know, I got a lot of assists. I think I got I got a lot of penalties as well that year, um, where Andy put put them away as well. So to have someone like that in your team who's going to score you them goals, you've always got a, a chance of getting out of the league. It would be rude not to mention the goal, one of the goals you scored in that season, which was away at Bristol Rovers. Oh, that what a goal! That oh, was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, red red shirt, black shorts combo. Um, tell us about that because the only way I can describe it is kind of like sort of what Dennis Burkamp did that time where he kind of flicked it one way turned the other do you know do you know what I would I would watch like the likes of like Burkamp and um, all of them type of players I would I would watch them and that's probably that's probably my favourite goal for Wrexham that one you know although there's been a lot more where it's from outside the box or but I believe if someone's outside the box most people if you're a professional footballer can hit a shot from there. But I think when it's something like that where you've got to think on your feet, there's no there's no room at all to to manoeuvre. 
And I think that's about your technique and your ability there. So as soon as Carlos has thrown it, I knew Andy, he'd win most headers anyway. He's nodded it on. And then as soon as it's bounced into me, I've thought he was that tight to me. All I've got to do is try and touch it this way. So we move and then kind of bring it back over my shoulder and his. And, you know, that's what, what I've done. And then to, to see it come over the shoulder and then finish it, that goes down as me as my best goal. Because I just think the technique of it was something that, you know, I enjoy them type of goals. I enjoy that little bit of magic. So for that, that goes down as, as my favourite goal. Is that something that just comes through raw talent or is that something you practised? Is that something that you... Do you know what? I was on a podcast not long ago and that we were talking about this and we were saying is, you know, are you born with that talent or is it is it practice? Um, I think it's, a, I think it's a, a bit of both. I do think that you're born with a certain ability and then you, you work on that. But I think it is down to practice. And I know that, like I speak about the youth club and when I was younger, I've played in our youth club probably since I was eight, right the way up until I went to, before I went to Wrexham because the older lads would still play. It was in stages of, of years, so you'd still be able to play. And in a, a normal tackle in our youth club was just a normal a two-footer. It did. There was no fouls. There was, there was no. You refereed yourself, so it was. You had to ride tackles. It was rough. The balls would be coming off the wall. So I, I feel like close control and stuff was made in in the youth club because it was that type of street football like that where it's tight and you've got to try and get yourself out of situations. So, you know, I think all that type of football which I've grew up playing sort of helped me, and I could use bits of it when I come into professional football. Yeah. So obviously, that being the promotion season, you remember the scenes away at Berry. Rest in peace, Berry. Did we win three 0 I think, off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was three 0 Yeah, unbelievable. Um, everybody's happy. Um, not so much Wrexham fans ahead of the following season because Andy Morrell, with I can't remember how many goals he got for us that season. Thirty nine and all. Eleven. 30, 30, 30, 30. 30. Yeah. So he he goes on a free to Coventry. Um, you go on a free following Fellini to Swansea and we know the rest is history in, in respect of that was there any conversation you had with Wrexham or, or that come about was, was, was the move something that was became more and more apparent did you want to stay just take us through that no it was every single season so if when if you can imagine I stayed on the same contract at Wrexham that I signed when I come from real so you can imagine that the the money that I was on, I was probably the lowest paid player in the, right. in the squad. Okay, if you've got young lads coming up, they might have been lower than me. But I was on, like, I'll tell you this, I was on £500 a week where there would have been wow. people on a, a lot more. And that stayed till the mm. end. So from right. when I went into, I went, come into the team, scored or, scored the goals in, the, in my first half a season there. My agent went in and said, can we renegotiate? And he said, no, let's just see how it goes. But for me, you know, I felt that I've done enough to, to warrant that, yeah. you know, I can do it at this level. Next yeah. season, went back in, although we were struggling. Um, they said no again. And then at the start of the season of promotion, he went in again and I got told no again. So then I think it was, I'm not, honestly, I'm not joking. It was probably... Four games before the end of that season that we got promoted, that they brought me in to try and talk, and then they offered me, I think they offered me two hundred pound more, 
Right. And I think for, for what I'd done in that time, and I've only just coming into to football new, you know, Flinny yeah. knows what, what I could do. I could go there, even though I was dropping down a level, you know, for me, it was a chance to start earning a, a bit more money because at the end of the day, you know, I loved my time at Wrexham. It was a, it's a club which I'll always remember because they give me my chance, but it's a job as well at the end of the day. And I think you've just mm. got to try and earn what you can and especially earn what you think you're worth as well because I think yeah. that's a, a big thing. And I, I just think that every time I'd gone in, I'd been knocked back and then what they offered me in the end, I, I felt that I was worth more than that because there would have been players in that squad that was on a lot more than that. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of that's kind of saddened me a bit. But I'm it's strange. It's I, I don't. This is and this is where I was as well. Probably the same as you because I'm thinking, well, do, do you not want me to stay or you know mm. why you do something to make me to make me want to stay? But to, mm, yeah. to offer me that, I just felt as though, and I think with with Dennis as well, even though even though it was a great season for us that season, I never really felt the love, whether he was yeah. that character or not what Flinny mm. gave me, do you know what I mean? I felt special under Flinny and Kevin. They made me feel like that. And I think yeah. that was a big part of how I performed with them too, the way they made me feel. Um, and I just think at that time, I just felt as though, you know, I'd been in this many times and you haven't offered me nothing and then you're doing that to, like at the end of the season. And I just thought it was time to, to move on. Plus I could have went back with Flinny mm. and Kev as well. Because at the time, realistically, I'd... I didn't want to really move away from home. Do you know, when I was at Wrexham, I still lived in Liverpool. I was travelling in, um, so it was only 40 minutes for me. But then I'm moving like four hours away from home, which is a massive thing. And that's why when I went to Swansea, I only signed a year contract at first because I didn't know how I was going to cope yeah. away from home because I am a, a home bird. So I just felt a bit saddened at the time where that I felt as though they didn't show enough that they wanted me. The first Wrexham shirt I ever bought was actually in that season, your first season. And I think it must have been not long after the Oxford game that I went down the club shop, got um, my first shirt with your name on it and number. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so when you did did eventually leave, it was a bit of a bit of a gutting moment. But like listening to it now as an adult and you given the context, it, it sort of, you know, it does make perfect sense. You know, we've all got careers. You all want to be you all want to feel valued, don't you? So do you think fans really appreciate or understand that side of it, really, for players? No, I don't think they do. And you know what? Even I've been involved in football, so I understand a little bit more. But from a a fan's point of view, I understand that as well. Because the more that you like a player, of course, you don't want them to leave. So it is going to be bitter because you're a bit annoyed yourself because you can't see this player play every week that you enjoy going to watch. And, you know, there's a lot of fans who have their favourite players and they enjoy going to, to watch them. So I understand why fans feel bit better when players go. But I think a lot of the stuff from what happens from a football club side doesn't come out. It's just, oh, he wants to go or he's moved on. But, you know, it doesn't... Well, how many years has it been now before we've sat down and we're telling that yeah. I've went in three yeah. to try and get a new contract on, on all them occasions? But that doesn't come out. So... You know, as a fan, I, I do under I do understand them them being bitter because you don't want your your better players to to leave the club. I'm assuming it was a no brainer to move to Swansea because you you've, you've spoke of your admiration of Flinny and, and, and Kevin Reeves and stuff. So that made that path all the more easier. I'm assuming. 
Yeah, I think it obviously um, money wise as well. I got a lot more yeah. than what I was I was being offered, so that's a that's a factor. To work with Flinny and Kev again, where and I felt comfortable with them and felt safe. So the only probably the only thing that was the downer on it is that I was dropping down a league where I'd just been promoted with awesome. with Wrexham, but then with Andy going as well, and I sort of knew he was going at the end. It, you're sort of then moving into a different team as well. I thought we would never have been the same. I think, especially if you're a Wrexham fan at the time, you know, if you take, we had great players right the way through the squad, but if you take me and Andy out of the team, it's a big chunk of your of your goals and assists. So, you know, for being a Wrexham fan at that time, for getting promoted and being excited to then losing the two of us, I, I, you know, for me, it would have been, it would have been sour. To be to be honestly, it was hard work because yeah, when imagine. we had you and when we had you and Andy up front, we thought anything was possible. We had Carlos down down the wing. It was yeah. it was a fun, exciting team. You could go to a place like um, I remember the Cambridge game when we went two two nil down. I think yeah, Came yeah, back to win three nil. Their keeper went to absolute bits. I can remember the celebration. I think Morel had scored we had the white kit on, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. And Morel had scored a hell of a a hell of a header I think you'd set him up you were right in the middle of the fans it was absolutely absolutely brilliant it was just it was great to have such two great strikers and I think we probably struggled as a club to have such a pairing since and so for mm. it was really quite hard to lose the people that you thought could go to any club and make a difference and I think obviously with the two of us as well you've got everything that you want as a as a mm. fan you know, if you want someone who's going to work hard, who's going to chase lost balls, who's going to get you a goal out of nothing if a cross goes in the box. You know, Andy was one of them strikers where, as a fan, you would love him because he'd, he'd never stop working and he, you can tell he's given everything for the club. Yeah. You've got myself where I could probably create something out of nothing and get a goal or create a chance for, for Andy or for someone else to score. So I think as fans, you've losing that as well would have been a... Uh, a massive blow because we've had we had some great times there together. What other players in that team did you, other than Andy, because obviously you guys had a great connection, but what other players stood out for you that you really liked playing with? Yeah, I loved Fergie, me. I just think just yeah. the way, obviously, you know, his movement and that he, was, he wasn't quick, he wasn't sharp like that, but I just felt every time he'd get the ball or if the game would be dead and you'd have a free kick, I know that he'd be always looking to get me on the ball and he'd always start start the passes off and he was clever so he's someone who I, I really like playing with from my point of view to get me the ball Carlos was probably someone who I liked playing with because I liked watching him as well when I was playing <laughs> and the stuff that he'd do um, you know if you even look at like the, you could go right through that squad you know Jim Whitley was someone who was mm -hmm. a class player as well you got Big Bry who put everything on the line Dibs who was in goal who was a, a massive character yeah, Paul was, Edwards yeah. out on the wing who probably wasn't a player who would affect me more because he'd like to get to the byline and get crosses in. But I think that team had a, a little bit of everything. You had Ozzy in the middle who could shoot from from range and create create chances as well. And if you look up front, you had Hector who'd come on and get you the goal as well. So um, the full squad, if you look at that team, I think probably at the time, you don't realise how good of a squad that we had. You know, you look at them players and... You've got a really good squad there and probably for a Wrexham fan, a great time to be going watching games. No, it was. Definitely, it was. 
Time now for some quickfire questions about Lee's former Wrexham teammates. Excluding yourself, who is the most skillful? Carlos. Yeah. What the stuff he'd do, even just messing around before in training and all that, and he was this one sick what he used to do, and it took me honestly, it took me about a year to, to do it. <laughs> and I'd each day in training, I'd say, show me again, let me see again, let me see. And he'd sort of the ball had bounced and he'd hit it off his shin as though it was going away from him, but he'd flick it back with his foot and it'd come back over his head. So it, it, I, honestly, it took me about a, a year to. I can do it now. I, I still do it all the time now, um, just when I'm warming up. But that was one where Carlos used to do tricks, and he was someone I really enjoyed watching. Who was the worst dressed? Do you know what? I'm going to go Big Bry. Just for yeah. the, the, he was just as state. I wouldn't say it to his face though, but he's just um, just a staple at the time. I've just seen him as an old man, like a dad. Just that's the way he dressed. Fair enough. I mean, God, he must have only been about 33 at that point. Proper, <laughs> yeah, no, but, high, top man. That's the way I see yeah. him. Fair enough. Right, who's the biggest moaner? Fergie, 100%. Yeah, yeah he used to have moaner everything. Most intelligent. Ooh. I'm going to go Andy Morell, you know. He, Andy yeah. knew a, a, a bit of stuff. He was, like, if you... I think he was more... If you were asking questions, Andy would usually know the answer, so I'll go Andy for that. <laughs> Pretend that he knew the answers anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I wouldn't have knew anyway. You could have said anything to me. Yeah, there was no Google in those days. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> Final one from me. Who is the tightest teammate? The meanest? Do you know what? I can't... No one springs to mind on that. All of them was, was all right, usually. Is it you? <laughs> no, I'm, I, was, I, was, I was. Well, I was only on 500 quid a week. What did I do? Well, as we're going back through memory lane, it seems like a good time to move on quickly to our next feature. We're going to put you on the spot a little bit here, Lee. So it's inspired by, once again, the anthem, but also obviously the podcast name, Fearless in Devotion. And each week we ask a guest for a moment that's basically their fearless in devotion moment. So a moment that's really filled them with passion when they're playing for Wrexham. Is there like a single moment or a goal or something that stands out to you when when we talk about that? Yeah, I think mine would have to be the the game against Oxford and the, the hat-trick, especially yeah. at home as well in front of our own fans. And I used to love going out in front of the cop and seeing them everyone standing on there. It was brilliant because for me, at the time, I'm coming from non-league games where you're probably having like 300 or, you know, 400 at games. Now I'm coming into a stadium at the at the time, which is the race course, which for me was an unbelievable stadium. You had the big stand on the side, you had the cop to come out, the main stand. And to score them goals in front of your own fans, and especially at the time as well, where I was only a new player, and I felt the I felt the love from the fans as well. I felt that the, you know, that the I was a player when I got the ball. I, I sort of felt as though they got excited as well when I had it, mm-hmm. and I could feel that on the pitch and the way I played. I felt that I felt that here. I felt that Wrexham, sorry, Swansea, and it's a it's a good feeling to have because it it makes you go out and just express yourself. So yeah. I'd say that night to score that attic in front of them was probably the the night which sticks out with me the most. 
And you got a Versace suit out of it last week. Exactly. <laughs> Quality. Um, more broadly, Lee, I mean, obviously you went to Swansea after and you've really settled there and, and you're an ambassador there now, so you're a massive part of the club. Swansea are like the modern day success story. Now that we're in such an exciting time for us as a club with Wrexham, with these great ambitions, what lessons do you think there are for the, for the club in how to do that sustainably? Well, I think, you know, with the takeover, at the moment, it's very exciting, isn't it? And it's the excitement is that you don't know what's going to happen, or you don't know what what they're going to what they're going to bring yet. I think the first step is to get Wrexham back into the football league because for me, they're too big of a club to be in in there and the league that they're in, and they've been in there for too long. I think even the fan base, what you get around the club, if you can get back into the league, you know, you can start building that again, and more people will will want to come and watch the game. But I think it's certainly um, it's certainly there for them if the, if the new owners want to invest. Because I do think at this level, if you do invest that money, you know, you can get you can get yourself out of the league. But I do think you have got to invest a, a fair bit. But it'll be interesting to to see what they what they do. And it, you know, as you say, Swansea is probably a mould that they can that they can use. Obviously the similarities with the American owners at the time now and you know, I was. I suppose they could always speak to each other and see how how they're doing. But it's exciting when I seen the takeover and when I seen what they was what they were doing for everyone involved at Wrexham. It's great, and I I'll be the first one to have a smile on my face to to see them back in the football league. Would you consider going there on loan next season? <laughs> playing, for, <laughs> playing for Ammonford, I saw. But you know what? I've, as I say, I still I still um, I still play myself. I still enjoy playing. Um, th- don't well. You could probably say I didn't do much running anyway when I played, but <laughs> probably do a little bit. Probably do a little bit less now, but still finding the the goal. So you know, I just That's enjoy being counts. out on that pitch because it's probably where I'm at my happiest. Yeah, you probably get more than two hundred quid raise anyway. Who yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. can't believe that? Outrageous. You've touched on your style of play, and I think it's safe to say you're probably the most entertaining player that I've seen watching. Thank um, you. Maxim. So in terms of, you mentioned Dennis Burkamp, I think, but what other players sort of growing up did you look at and think, I want to be like him? Um, but do you know what? Pro- my first one was probably um, Kenny Dalglish. I just loved the way he played, where he would always back into defenders and twist and turn. He probably wasn't quick. I, I wasn't seeing this at the time. I'd just seen him as a player, what, how I liked, you know, the way he'd link up with Ian Rush. And then I think after that, it would probably be Paul Gascoigne. And I think that's someone he, he went out and played with a smile on his on his face and looked as though he was enjoying the game. And then my favourite of all time would be the Brazilian Ronaldo R9. I just think how he played and what he'd done it was someone that I would try and watch his tricks. I would try and copy them myself. Um, Ronaldinho was another one. Romario was a, another one. So them type of players was probably probably ones that tried to make something happen out of nothing or tried to express themselves. They were my favourites that I would like to watch and I think even when I'm watching football now they're still the players that I that I like to see because I believe once you go out on that football pitch you should express yourself and I think in the modern game now it's going out of it where people want to talk about possession too much and they want to, they're too scared to give the ball away where I believe if you're a forward player you've got to take chances to create something because that's how you're you're going to score goals and unlock defences. And I think if the fans see you playing like that and they see that you're doing that, when you do give the ball away at times, which I would have, I think they sort of forgive that because they know that you're only trying to make something happen. I think even if you look at every level as well now, 
and I know it sounds stupid, but even if you have a look at Showboat on Soccer AM, AM on a Saturday now, it's like someone just does a little pass back here and it's like, how oh, is that a showboat? It's just a pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's you were the just, star of that, weren't you, that, at one stage? Because I think people want to look at the possession based and, and I think now players, everything that you do, everything's by stats. So if you lose a ball, all the stats is you've lost the ball. Well, you might lose a ball by trying to put a last minute pass in to score the goal and it gets cut yeah. out. So, you know, I just think... I think players have got to be more braver and got to do stuff. But the way the game is going, I think it's the tricks and skills is is going out of it a little bit. There's only a couple of players that will go and take people on, and you know the rest of them really just want to play safe. Do you think that players could, for want of a better phrase, do a Lee Trundle now, which is come into the game at 24 after playing street football, get to the level that you've got, stay there, become a cult hero? Do you think it's possible now, or is it the, the, the academy sort of route is is making players do it a different way? Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. Um, I think players are a lot more professional now, so they do look after themselves off the pitch, even at the non-league level. Mm. Um, but I do think that people can. I do think that people slip through the academy, or they um, they progress at a, a different rate to others. So I definitely think that someone can come through the the non-league system and go on and, and shine in league football, definitely. Look, looking at your post-Brexham <laughs> career, Swansea, Bristol, Leeds, Swansea, Neath, Preston, Chester, Marine, Thunethley, hat-trick on your debut at Thunethley, the first of nine hat-tricks in all competitions. <laughs> Second season, 33 goals in 28 appearances, on to Haverford West County, scored four on your debut in a 10-1 home win. Um, so, yeah, I'm guessing a hat-trick is due when you resume playing again. Yeah, well, I hope I hope so. You know, we've got the let's hope the season starts next year. We can get back and and um, and get back to that. But with the Clenethley one, I've been out of well, not been out of football, but assigned for my two local teams in Liverpool, me me pub team on a Sunday, and just me other local like amateur team. So I, I was playing for them for two years, and then come back to to Wales, and then I well, I come back to Wales. I just travelled back to Liverpool every weekend. But then I'd signed for Clinetley and the manager at the time on the phone before he signed said, listen, do you think you'll be able to, to hold the shirt down this season? And I said, well, you know, I think, I, I think I'll do all right, yeah. So then on the first, on, that was on my first game, my debut, I played, I scored the hat-trick and then I sent him a, a text after the game and said, do you think I'll be able to hold that shirt down? <laughs> and Fair then I we, we got promoted. I went on to score 51 in 30 games as well. Jesus. So There's something about Wales, out. isn't there? You, you love playing in Wales. Yeah, that's, well, that's where I played me, me best football. As soon as I venture out, I lose my powers. So that's <laughs> I'm stay in Wales. Ali, thank you so much for joining us. Speak yeah, quality. thank you. My yeah, pleasure, guys. Thanks brilliant. for having me. Thank you. Feel it in the ocean Rising to promotion Great to hear from Lee Trundle there. 18 years since he left the club, incredibly, but we've got plenty of fond memories of his time here. No time for the mighty heroes this week, thanks to that bumper Lee Trundle interview, but we'll be picking our centre-backs next week. But for now, we've got time quickly for We Are Here To See Your Glory, our prediction league. Andy, why don't you update us on where we stand so far? Well, where we are, uh, Reese, is your cowardly uh, draw from the first week. 
means that you are now in the lead with four points because we all went for a win uh, against Bromley. Now, it was a close run thing with certain Timothy Edwards because he said at first it was going to be one all draw. And he said that Bromley are no mugs. Well, I think what I've just seen <laughs> can show that Bromley are mugs. Sports direct mugs. <laughs> yeah, everyone is on two points now, apart from Reese, who's on four points. The only thing that really annoyed me about today's performance was when it got to about 85 minutes, I thought I could do with a Bromley goal here because I said 3-1. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if that means that goal difference... Misses us out on the playoffs. Okay, I'll just I'll just take it. So, okay. In in essence, Reese is ahead with four points. Everyone else is on two points. What's next, Reese? We got Notts County on Good Friday. No game Tuesday night. Uh, right. Live on BT Sport. Uh, big game. Obviously, they've got a game on Tuesday night, which hopefully will help us. Um, they're playing all yeah. the shots at home. Uh, Tim, why don't you go first? How do you see this one going? Traditionally, we're never really good on. In front of the cameras, off the top of my head, maybe maybe I've been wounded in the past on that. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for a two-one Wrexham win because Notts County are in a bit of disarray. I've got a game on Tuesday as well, um, so yeah, let's let's add to their misery. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? So we we've done it. We've done it with Bromley with that manager. Obviously, Notts County have done a recent change in manager, so let's do the same with them. We've got the momentum, so yeah, two-one win. Bullish. Liam, why didn't you go next? How do you see it going? Well, they've just lost, uh, well, just gone out of the FA Trophy on penalties to Hornchurch, so they're reeling. We're going to have them on the ropes, and I'm going to go for another <laughs> shutout for us, and I'm going to go for a 2 0 win to Wrexham. Andy? Well, I was going to go 2 1, but Tim's gone for that, and I don't want to be the same as Tim, so I'm going to go for it. <laughs> I'm going to go for 1 0. I don't think it's going to be as free flowing. I think they're a good. There's a lot of good players there, even if the manage, the new manager is trying to get them together. I think my big question for me, is it going to be Kelleher or Pearson? I think they're probably going to stick with Pearson. I don't think both of them can play in the same side. And I think it's going to be 76-minute corner and Pearson is going to rise like a salmon and nod it in. Okay, gosh, three wins. I'm going to be the only one who takes a risk oh, here. Oh, I, boring. I, <laughs> away, we're, we're away. I wish I shared all of your optimism. I, I, don't think this, I don't think this would be actually be a bad result, but I, I'm going to put us down for a one-all draw. Uh, away at Notts County. If you offer, if you offered me that now, I'd bite your hand off for it. Keep the unbeaten oh, run going. No ambition. Oh, away. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, one one all for me. We'll see how we get on next week. I've been supporting Wrexham for long enough <laughs> to know how it goes. Um, anyway, um, even Jason Mohammed would go for a two nil win. <laughs> On that, that's that's enough for today. Thank you again for downloading the podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, remember to tweet us or email in fearlessindevotion at gmail.com. But uh, uh, for now, uh, thanks very much and goodbye from all of us. Goodbye. Take care. See you.